Thanks for joining. Uh, more people are popping in, and we will get our regularly scheduled programming going here in just a sec, but I just want to talk to everyone about uh, this background that you're seeing. It is not a fake background. I know it kind of looks like a, a stock background or something. Uh, where are we? We are right now in Lois Lab, uh, which is our training center that we just built out and opened last month. Um, so what is Lois Lab? Well, if you know me, you know I love talking about workers' comp, and I love talking about um, anything to do with workers' comp. So we just built this massive training center uh, to facilitate conversations about workers' comp. Uh, to train our employees, our attorneys, uh, and the outside world. And why do I say that? Well, we have 51 attorneys that work here um, at Lois Law Firm. And uh, let me turn this a little bit more. There we go. Um, and we just got accredited uh, by the uh, Workers' Compensation Board, I'm sorry, the Continuing Legal Education Board, to become an accredited CLE provider as of September 15th. So going forward, you'll start to see us offering uh, more CLEs. So those of you that are attorneys that are jumping on here, I do see a number of attorneys. Um, going forward into the future, you'll be getting some invites from me to attend uh, some weekday things like this, maybe some weekend things, maybe some after hours events where we'll be able to issue um, continuing legal education certifications and credits. So we're excited about that. Uh, really training, talking about workers' compensation topics, writing books and articles and our newsletters and all the things we do. That's part of our brand or core DNA here at Lois Law Firm. And uh, being able to offer to our attorneys that work here um, and all of our different practice groups the opportunity to achieve all of their CLEs in-house. That's Obviously, an amazing cost savings for us, but also it means that we can offer our attorneys even more tailored um, and more specific training that's really meant to meet their needs. But also, we're going to do this uh, towards uh, the broader community at large. And so you will see us utilizing this space uh, to start to bring in outside counsel, judges, attorneys, you know, members of the board, members of the division, uh, and start to really uh, – expand what we're able to do in terms of training and keeping the discussion going about workers' comp. So uh, welcome aboard. Uh, this is Lois Lab. We just opened it last month. We're pretty excited about what we're doing here. And uh, let's jump in. Um, let me minimize this window so I can start to see the presentation. Okay. I'm hoping that uh, the presentation is available on everybody's screen. I don't know where my window just went, but let me go back. Um, hold on a sec. Did I lose it? There it is. That was really weird. Um, oh, I have to share my screen. That would be helpful. Sorry about that. Okay, hopefully you should be seeing my whole screen. Somebody back there give me a thumbs up. Good, thumbs up. Okay, from behind one of the columns. All right. All right. Uh, today we're talking about New Jersey's Second Injury Fund, which what a fun topic to talk about with you guys today. Uh, this is one of those weird things that New Jersey still has a second injury fund. I know a lot of states do not anymore. And what an opportunity for us in this jurisdiction. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit, very briefly, one slide about why it exists, um, how it works, and then I'm going to talk about how it reduces exposure for us and 
uh, how we can get contribution from New Jersey Second Injury Fund. So when you're thinking about New Jersey Second Injury Fund, I want you to think about your worst cases, uh, the most traumatic injuries, the most catastrophic losses. You should be thinking, wait a second, there's this other pool of money out there uh, that I should be getting money from. Now, sometimes it used to be called, uh, particularly in court dockets, it used to be called the 2% fund because it wasn't funded by a 2% surcharge on insurance policies in the state of New Jersey. Well, that's increased over the years. It's now 6, 7, 8% of policy uh, premium is now being charged and sent forward to the second injury fund. So why does it exist? Well, if you think back to the, the, um, the creation of the Workers' Compensation Act in New Jersey in 1913, a thing happened right after the creation of the Workers' Compensation Act called World War One, And a lot of uh, soldiers were coming back from World War One, and they were unemployable because nobody wanted to hire somebody who was missing an arm or a leg or had a hand blown off in the trenches of World War One. And the reason for that is because New Jersey's statute says that if you uh, have a, a loss of any two limbs, you are automatically found to be completely and totally disabled, right? So that's um, uh, the, the challenge uh, under hiring a disabled veteran of back in 1918 when people were coming back from this war. Uh, and so they created this thing called New Jersey Second Injury Fund, and the idea was created to encourage employers to hire these war veterans who had these pre-existing disabilities without fear that you're hiring this person who already had one very significant injury and they get one more while working for you, wow, now you've got a total disability for the rest of your life and you're going to be paying permanent and total disability benefits forever. So for those reasons, uh, this was really um, meant to ameliorate that concern. Now, does it still have a place in modern times? No, right, because the Americans with Disability Act and other acts uh, laws against discrimination have been passed, which say you can't discriminate against employees because of pre-existing conditions or injuries or illnesses, um, but this still stays on the books. So, and again, New Jersey is one of the few states that still has a second injury fund concept. Again, it's to encourage employers to hire people with pre-existing disabilities. So that's why it was created. Now, um, what does the second injury fund responsible for contributing to uh, a claimant who has become permanently and totally disabled. Well, the first thing is the petitioner has to be permanently and totally disabled. So that's uh, requirement number one. Number two, they had to have some measurable disability before the employment accident rendered them totally disabled, right? So there had to be something in their medical history uh, that we could point to and say, look, they had this condition already. And the second injury fund is responsible to pay when the combination of both the pre-existing disability and the current disability renders them now totally disabled. Okay, so we're going to talk about the defenses that the second injury fund brings to paying in a second, but that's uh, essentially the statutory framework, Section 95 of the New Jersey Workers' Compensation Act. Now, in order for the second injury fund to pay, the petitioner or we – have to claim or concede total disability. And that's an interesting thing. Again, the petitioner has to make an affirmative argument, I am totally disabled, and in order to get contribution from the fund, they have to file what's called the verified petition. But you as the respondent also could say, look, I'm going to concede total in this case. I'm going to concede total disability, you know, because you have the plan of I'm going to go and attack the fund. I'm going to get the fund to contribute. They have to demonstrate some disability before the last workplace accident. That disability does not have to impact their working ability. 
Remember, New Jersey is a whole man or impairment theory of compensation state. The petitioner does not have to show pre-existing wage loss because of the pre-existing disability. They simply have to show that it uh, impacted them in some way. It could be purely personal. And the petitioner has to show that they are now completely and totally disabled, and they're not working solely as a result of the culmination of all of these injuries and disabilities. They cannot voluntarily retire and then claim to be permanently and totally disabled. The way this works is we are still responsible for the amount of disability that we create or is the result of the workplace accident which led to the filing of a workers' compensation claim in New Jersey. But the good news is after we pay our portion of responsibility, after that, the second injury fund pays the remainder of the total disability for the remainder of the person's life, which generally speaking will vastly outweigh what we're paying. So this is an amazing way to really reduce our exposures in a case. So let's give you a very clear-cut example. Here's our wonderful employee um, who has a pre-existing loss of their right foot. Uh, they lost their foot. It could have been a snowboarding accident. It could have been in a wartime incident. It could have been in a motor vehicle accident that's not work-related. It could have been in a prior work-related accident for which you've already paid workers' compensation benefits. For. So, again, there has to be some prior pre-existing disability. Now they come to work for us, and while they're working for us, they have a new accident, and uh-oh, now they've lost their other foot. Well, this is a really a worst-case scenario for employers in the state of New Jersey because New Jersey's Workers' Compensation Act itself says, Section 12, Subsection C, Subsection 20 says, the loss of both hands or both arms or both feet or both legs or both eyes or any two thereof, so any two limbs or any one eye and a limb, uh, shall constitute, and the word is shall, not may, shall constitute total and permanent disability to be compensated according to the provisions of subsection B, which essentially says you're going to pay them 70% uh, of their average weekly wage subject to the boundaries of the top end and the low end for the rest of their life, right? So for that person who came to work with you and they already were missing one foot, now they've lost their other foot, the statute doesn't care about their actual working ability transferability of skills, vocational aptitude, anything that doesn't care, just says, well, under the statute, you've lost two limbs, they're enumerated body parts, they're in the statute, they're now permanently and totally disabled. And that's it, employer, you're responsible for life. Okay, that could be scary, particularly in a younger claimant who's 25, 30, or 40 years old and has 30, 40, 50 years of life expectancy ahead of them. This is where New Jersey's second injury fund comes into play. So, Let's take a look at the math, what the exposure would be to that employer if the second injury fund did not exist, okay? You're going to get an order for total disability. Uh, you almost would concede total disability in a case like this because they've lost two of those enumerated body parts. You literally have no defense. So the way you'd calculate this is you'd say, what's the initial period of exposure plus what are the number of weeks in their expected life expectancy? Plus, what are the medical costs for life? And even with something as straightforward as an amputation, there are going to be some stump care, prosthetic costs, all those types of things. And that's going to equate to your ultimate exposure in the case. So the initial period for a finding of total disability is always 450 weeks. Uh, that's always what it's going to be because that's what the statute says is totally and permanently disabled. The number of weeks from the life expectancy, you're going to take from a life table or use a rated age. Um, we use uh, dicennial life tables. Um, 
You can also adjust that in the state of New Jersey because you can look at comorbidities, and oftentimes in the totally disabled claimant, you will find comorbidities. So, again, you can use that to sort of adjust your projection, plus the cost of medicals for life, and, you know, you can get a set-aside uh, or any kind of cost projection and use that to sort of determine what the medicals are going to be for life, and that's your total exposure, right? Very straightforward. So let's look at an employee. Let's imagine he was 61 years old, and I'm just saying he because that's the picture of a, we've got a little guy over there. Let's imagine that when he worked for us, his average weekly wage was only $600 a week, so this is not a high wage earner, and he was 61. So the initial period of benefit is going to be for 450 weeks, plus under the life tables, they're expected to live another 17.3 years, so that's another 449.6 weeks of compensation plus whatever the medicals are, and let's not even make the presumption, I have no idea. So I could tell you that for a 61-year-old who's totally disabled, currently making $600 a week, that exposure to you is at least $539,400. And I say at least because when that doesn't take into account the cost of medical as well. Now, let's imagine, again, the same claimant, the same situation, had the pre-existing loss of the other leg, let's get some contribution from the second injury fund. And let's be really conservative. Let's imagine the fund says, wait a second, they didn't have a 50% disability because they were working full-time, full duty at the time of their new loss with you, Greg. So I'm only going to contribute 1%. I'm going to only say 1% of their overall disability is the result of me, the second injury, and, and, and that I'm responsible for. Okay, let's play the numbers. Again, the fund plays when the petitioner is now totally disabled and they had some measurable disability. It didn't have to be a compensation award. It could be something purely personal. It could be completely unrelated to work. And those two things together make them totally disabled. Well, that's this case, right? Uh, we know that the loss of any two limbs is going to make you totally disabled under Section 12 of New Jersey statute. They've lost two limbs, um, one work-related, one not work-related, and now we're going to go to the fund and say contribute, Okay. Okay, so let's take a look at the foot. The prior loss of the foot, the maximum number of weeks for loss of the foot is 230 weeks of compensation. But we're not even going to play with that. We're even going to say we're only going to get 1% of contribution from the fund, not the maximum contribution. Now, here's the result. If there is no fund contribution, we would pay, again, 450 weeks at that maximum rate. Then we would pay 449.6 weeks going forward. And then our total exposure would be $539,400 plus the cost of medical. But let's say the fund contributes just 1%. says, yes, they did have a pre-existing disability. It was only 1% disabling. You're now not going to pay 450 weeks. You're going to pay 450, 446.5 weeks. Why? Because 1% is worth four and a half weeks of compensation. So that's how we're going to derive that number. You're then going to pay nothing after that point. So zero additional dollars, and your total exposure is approximately half at $267,600. So 1% of contribution, that's the minimalist contribution you could possibly get from the second injury fund, reduces your exposure to half, at least, again, holding medicals aside. And you can imagine, if you just think about this, what if you got 10%, 20%, 30%? What if the fund says, yeah, uh, they're 100% disabled now. They lost both feet. I'll give you a credit for 50% per 
pre-existing disability. That's going to dramatically drop your exposure in cases where the second injury fund is going to be taking on the majority of the exposure in a case. So this is a really clear cut, and it's a very simplified example, of how second injury fund contribution in your qualified case can really reduce your exposure in the long term. Now, how do we get contribution from the second injury fund? How do we do it? The first thing is the petitioner has to file a verified petition saying, I'm totally disabled and I've had pre-existing disabilities. Now, how do you get them to file the verified petition? Sometimes you've got to beg and, and, and argue and leverage them into doing it. Oftentimes they'll do it on their own because they're thinking to themselves, hey, I'm totally disabled. I don't care where the money comes from as long as someone finds me totally disabled. I'll also tell you that it is possible as a respondent to simply stipulate to someone's total disability and then file the verified petition to try to get the second injury fund to contribute back to you. So that's also an option. Uh, it's a dangerous option, and it's dangerous because you're conceding totality, which literally is the worst-case exposure in the state of New Jersey. Getting contribution from the second injury fund turns on good documentation of the pre-existing conditions. Now, in a simple case like the one I've presented, where the petitioner had previously lost the left leg and now they've lost the right leg, it's pretty obvious, hey, judge, they had a missing foot, it's medically documented, and here's a photo of their prior prosthetic foot, pretty clear cut. But that's oftentimes not the kinds of pre-existing conditions that we're demanding contribution for. Often it's for um, conditions like diabetes or congenital medical conditions or it's an assortment of prior problems, you know, hurt the shoulder back in high school playing football and then had a low back injury 15 years later that wasn't really uh, very disabling. So you're cobbling together a lot of different injuries or congenital conditions or personal conditions that aren't work-related. Well, you're going to have to have good documentation. Uh, to facilitate that, oftentimes we're going to be using a lot of subpoenas to try to obtain medical information and records from prior uh, uh, treatment providers. You're also gonna need a medical report from some doctor saying that the petitioner is totally disabled overall. Uh, the petitioner generally will be the person that comes forward with that document saying they're totally disabled. And finally, mechanically, in order to get contribution from the second injury fund and make sure that we're mechanically getting the right amount of credit, we're gonna need to know about information about how much money they're getting from social security disability, how much pensions they're getting, how many other awards they've received, just so that when we craft that final settlement or stipulation document, the order for total disability, uh, that it is accurate and complete and reflects exactly what the petitioner is going to receive. Now, there are certain circumstances where the fund is never going to pay or contribute. For example, they never pay for the cost of medical treatment. That's still on us. We're still exposed for that. Even where the petitioner has been deemed to be completely and totally disabled, um, the, the medical cost remains on us, and the medical cost, I should say, that is related to our accident, not for all the prior uh, uh, conditions. We also are responsible as a respondent for cost of suit and attorney's fees. The second injury fund does not pay any portion of that. The second injury fund will never contribute towards this Section 20. What's a Section 20? It's a lump sum dismissal. It's a full and final. It's a thanks for playing. Your journey with us has come to an end. Here's a full and final settlement. Go away. The second injury fund will, has no authority to negotiate Section 20 lump sum dismissals. The second injury fund will never pay for dependency benefits. It's in the statute. They can never contribute in a less than total disability case. Where you have a less than total disability, 
and a pre-existing condition which contributes to the overall amount of current disability, you can use the Abdullah case, which stands for the proposition that you get a dollar-for-dollar credit in today's dollars for any pre-existing disability that exists. The second injury fund will never pay when the last accident by itself was totally disabling. And this is often an argument that the fund will raise. They'll say, well, this guy was working, he was perfect condition, and then he had this minor accident, the last accident, uh, it, it wasn't minor at all. In fact, that was disabling by itself. So that's a typical argument. And they will never pay when the last injury is not totally disabling by itself or in conjunction with pre-existing dis- disabilities, but progresses over time, maybe because of um, just material worsening, to become totally disabling uh, by itself. In those circumstances, they will not pay. Now, the objections. I just kind of went through them, but, you know, the second injury fund uh, attorneys that are represented by the deputy attorney general's office, and they are well-armed with uh, appropriate defenses uh, to when the second injury fund should not pay, right? Because you can imagine in every single total case that we defend, we're always looking for an avenue to seek contribution from the second injury fund. So the first argument they typically raise is, yeah, they're totally disabled, but it's from the last accident alone. It didn't matter all these other pre-existing conditions, Greg. That last accident by itself was disabling totally by itself. Okay. Uh, you got to be prepared to defend that and or to overcome that objection or neutralize it. Typically, the way you're going to neutralize that objection is you're going to have great documentation of all the pre-existing conditions, and the petitioner is going to be ready to testify about how those pre-existing conditions impacted their ability to work, earn a living, or enjoy their personal life. Just going about your activities of daily living can be supports for the findings that the pre-existing condition was disabling uh, enough to arise to the level that the second injury fund has to contribute. Another objection that the second injury fund makes is, oh, it's too bad that person lost both their feet, but they're not totally disabled. They're fine. And they'll often say, not only are they fine, but they could get a great job. They should get a job as a Walmart greeter. And so what the fund likes to um, posit is these counterfactual positions, like, well, maybe they could get a job doing this or that. It doesn't matter, uh, particularly we have a straightforward cases of amputations, that they could get some kind of sedentary or permanent light-duty job. That's not what the law requires. The law simply looks at impairment and then ascribes a degree of disability to it. And so for that reason, you can overcome or neutralize those objections as well. But you've got to be prepared. Um, all right, let's move over into some questions and answers. I hope there are some good questions for me today. Uh, let's see what we've got. All right, Crystal says, Greg, your sound cut out. And then she says, never mind, it's back. Okay, so I hope that wasn't affecting everybody. I'm hoping that was not a significant problem for other people who are joining in. Let me take a look at some other questions. I'm not seeing any other questions. All right, I'll give everybody a minute or two to think through uh, any questions they want to ask. And they don't have to be about second injury fund uh, either. All right. Okay, so Thomas asked the question, all right, what about uh, evaluating the settlement in terms of permanent total? What should we be thinking of? And the answer is you're always looking to see, is there an opportunity for us to obtain contribution from the second injury fund? So uh, regardless of the, the fact position of your case or even the legal position of your case, you should be analyzing the opportunity for second injury fund contribution always based simply on what the medicals in your case are saying. 
right? You, when you were thinking about um, how to value a case with the potential for second injury fund involvement, that is something you're going to evaluate separate and apart from whatever legal defense you might have in a case. That would, you know, your first get, uh, goal or hope is, hey, I want to get out of this case. I might have a great decision. Maybe or I've got a, a great legal defense. Going and coming is a great defense. Um, you're not my employee, independent contractor, um, you know, uh, did not arise out of in the course of employment. So you have those legal defenses. That's great. Uh, but you also are going to want to try to price the case or, or uh, understand the exposure in a case separately from what those legal defenses are. You can use those legal defenses, of course, to minimize or to reduce what you think the overall exposure is. But we're really thinking about what are the medical say in a case, and then we're going to think about can I get contribution from the second injury fund. All right. And then uh, Tom also asked, what about offsets, right? So there are offsets uh, that are available in a total disability case. Uh, and New Jersey is unique in this. In some states, for example, if the claimant's on Social Security disability, Social Security disability gets the benefit of the offset. Uh, in New Jersey, the comp carrier or the second injury fund gets the benefit of an offset rate while the claimant is receiving Social Security disability. And our law says that the combination of benefits, permanent total disability benefit or workers' compensation benefits, and Social Security benefit taken together cannot exceed 80% of the average current earnings of the uh, petitioner or claimant before the total disability. So in New Jersey, you can further reduce your exposure if the petitioners on Social Security disability because you can get an offset rate, which again reduces the workers' compensation benefit during the period they're collecting Social Security disability, which is commonplace in a total disability case, right? In order for someone to be eligible for Social Security disability benefits and then to be found eligible and actually have benefits awarded, oftentimes that happens before the workers' compensation case is settled or resolved. And so for that reason, you would again, you'd want to consider that mechanics. I did mention it briefly in my slide that, hey, when you get to that moment of you're calculating your exposure under the second injury fund, you're also thinking about what other credits or offsets am I entitled to. Social Security disability offset is going to be your number one. And the other um, very common uh, is some type of civil award, which arises or gives us a credit under uh, Section 40 of New Jersey statute, which gives us, again, a dollar-for-dollar dollar credit against uh, for, of reimbursement right against any amounts that the petitioner has received in a third-party case, reduced only by the amount of their attorney's fees plus $750. That's it. So, you know, th that would, again, those would be other things that would help us reduce our ultimate exposure. All right. Um, great question. Thank you, Tom, for asking me that question. Um, and with that, I think we've got everything covered. We've got our questions covered. And I want to thank everybody for, for attending today's presentation. Thanks for coming today. Have a great and happy Halloween, and I'll see you next month. Bye, everybody.